0: Hello everyone, Bailey here. In this episode of Data Driven, Frank and Andy interview Justin Harrison, the founder and CEO of YOV, You Only Virtual. YOV aims to develop means to provide posthumous communications, or being able to converse with the dead. This is not done via paranormal communications, séances, or Ouija boards. This is using AI to preserve a person's communication style in order to outlive them. This is quite the interesting talk that touches upon philosophy, theology, ethics, and mathematics. Now on with the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emergent fields of data science, artificial intelligence, and everything in between. Uh, and, and with me on this epic road trip down the information superhighway, as always, is my uh, brother from another mother, Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? Hey, Frank, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I, I've had quite a productive day, and uh, it's like uh, I've actually somehow managed to, to string four productive days in a row. So whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it right, and uh, I should probably write it down so I can uh, remind myself when that's not the case. How about you? Well,
2: I am still, I am still recovering. Um, not sure what from, but pretty sure what i what I've had. The plague. Uh, because it t- I've had it for two weeks. <laughs> so, wow. But um. And for those who regularly listen to us, um, you can hear the voice strengthening. We did a couple of recordings earlier. For, we did one for season six early, mm-hmm. and I sounded worse. I know I can. I can even hear it. So. <laughs> but yes, getting, getting better is the is the right word, and and getting better every day. So that's that
1: is a awesome and a blessing, and I'm thankful. Cool. All right. So with us today, we have an awesome guest. Uh, Justin Harrison, founder and CEO of YOVU (Only Virtual), an AI company pioneering the development of authentic posthumous communications. Which I think, based on uh, based on my uh, forced Latin I had to study during as a kid, uh, means that that means when you're dead uh, or after you die. And speak on why this concept may be out there. But shouldn't have anyone worrying about the advancement of AI and how AI will never be truly sentient.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm, hey, I'm super excited. Thanks
1: for coming on the show, Justin. That's cool. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Welcome. So, um, posthumous communications, what is, uh, is it talking to the dead or, or, or bringing the dead back to life with AI? What, what exactly is that?
3: Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I realized after I, I, you know, I don't think I coined the term posthumous communications, but we, we definitely have been using it in sort of wide circulation, if you will. Um, the first thing people start thinking about is like spirit mediums and stuff like that. (laughs) Nothing supernatural about what we're doing. We have no psychics on staff that I know of. There might be some hidden talents out there on the team that I don't know about, but the idea is that, uh, you can carry on conversations with somebody that's passed away. We also have IP in, for folks who, who might have dementia, Alzheimer's, but essentially whenever there's an absence of the ability to communicate with somebody, which probably the most universal and common instance is going to be when they die. Right.
1: So what what are your – I'm sure a lot of people will say, what about the ethics of this? and like when I first heard about something like this, it was a, um, there's two stories I heard in the media. Maybe you were involved with one or two of them. There was one lady who uh, her boyfriend had died and she kind of used NLP models to take the text messages that they had and then recreated uh, kind of a a bot for that. And another guy did that with his dad. Um, And, you know, the media pundits kind of were all over the map about, this is wonderful, this is awful. And I'm kind of like, I'm not sure where I stand on three like It's kind of like, I think it's both wonderful and it can also be like awful too.
3: Well, I mean, uh, first of all, anything anything that has to do with the grief process and going through coping with a, a loved one's loss is a very personalized experience and it's how you deal with it is very personalized. What I would say is that you know, and, and, and on my podcast, I had to jump into this big time, because I, I think it's one of the common misconceptions about technology and human psychology, and basically everything about the human experience is we're new to all these games. that, that we, we are organic living creatures. We're cellular biological beings that have only really been afforded the time to sit around and think about these philosophical ideas. For what, maybe a maybe a thousand years, two thousand years. I mean, maybe you can make the argument that it's five thousand years. It, it you know, as agriculture afforded us the time to sit around a lot more. But by and large, we've spent the majority of human existence focused on surviving, and only very recently, with the advent of a lot of technology, have we had the time to get into these more high concept ideas and. And even grieve for any period of time. You know, I talk talk about this a lot. Elephants and chimps and other higher functioning animals do grieve. They do, you know, clearly seem to note and have an emotional feeling when a member or a family member dies. But then they got to go eat because they'll die. Otherwise, you know, there's only so much time. So I I spend a a good chunk of time arguing with people that say – there is a way to grieve or there's uh, or death is even natural or that loss is natural or that we have to do things a certain way. I mean, a hundred years ago, it was a scientifically empirical fact that if your heart stopped, you were dead. We just all knew that. And then somebody figured out, you know, if you do some chest compressions or defibrillation or whatever, that that wasn't the rule anymore. And so I kind of come from the angle of, we are way too new at this grieving process to really say that A is is reality and has to be this way anyway. And what humans excel at is uh pushing against what the biological world says has to be a fact. And so I think, you know, at a certain point, as we begin to understand relationship dynamics and psychology and how synapses are truly built in the brain and What emotion really is, you know, because at the end of the day, it's just based off biological imperative and we have emotions that are based on survival. But as they become more complex and more developed and we are able to understand, a lot of the narratives are going to change. So for today, it might be creepy to some people. I think in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 100 years, we're going to be looking back at, you know, our trepidation around all AI and around many different kinds of technologies and sort of laughing at the, the dumb humans of the 2010s. And, and, in the same way we look at people that were using leeches for medicine, and like, it's crazy that you just had to accept that your loved one was dead. That's so insane that people just were gone forever. That's crazy. Why would anybody be okay with that? Why weren't they trying to fix that? In the same way that we look at, you know, treating uh you know, treating an infection with a leech, or you know, trying to exercise demons out of somebody with a mental health issue. They're going to be looking back at us and and naysayers about advancing certain technologies and going, well, what was wrong with those people? But for now, you know, there's a lot. No, of I mean that's, that's of faith fair because like
1: you know, I, I I wonder like so so recently I, I just got this bit of software that creates a virtual avatar and kind of animates it and stuff and does it. Mean, folks have been watching my live stream, seen it. It's we created this AI character called Bailey who kind of acts as like does the the, the intros to the show and the outros. And um, uh, it really was kind of became, we wanted custom intros for each show, but the cost of doing that was just kind of ridiculous to have a human do it. And, you know, one of the first things I thought was, well, if you can make a custom one, it'd be cool to make a custom one of my dad because my kids have never met my dad. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like that would be cool to do. I mean, I'm sure some people would say that would be creepy, but it would be kind of cool to like create that experience so they could at least see what he would be like. But but you know, it's kind of like like you said, like it's kind of a new technology, you know, and I, I don't know, like I have mixed feelings about it. And then I heard that Amazon announced that you can program your Alexa to sound like a uh someone who's passed away. And it's like in some ways, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of creepy. But AI is, for the last, you know, so many years, has, has always ridden, ridden that line of cool and creepy pretty pretty consistently. Um, one of the things that's come up recently with, uh, I forget his name, is it Blake Lemoyne or Lemoyne Blake, um, was working on a chatbot at Google. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> thanks to the Streisand effect, because Google fired him, now he has a lot more attention. Um and uh, that he claimed that he he was working on a system based on, uh, it was called Lambda. And and you say that you're, you, no one should worry about AI being sentient. Can you, I, I just want to know more about your thoughts on like, you seem pretty confident that it will never be sentient. What does that mean?
3: Uh Yeah, so this is probably my biggest opinion piece I've ever. Been. No,
1: please, because like yep. this, there's like, because when I, when I first heard this, I'm like, dude got fooled by a chatbot and then I kind of read more into it I was like well he he most likely got fooled by a chatbot and then I went from like there's no way in hell this is sentient to well maybe there's like one in like a 100 million chance it's so go ahead I want to know
3: well i mean based on the first initial version of the turing test there's probably multiple quote sentient ais i mean right. in, in terms of fooling a human against you know a couple of blind tests the the you have to get down first of all, as you, you you all know so much better than me, having done six seasons of, of this, but you know, the term artificial intelligence is so broadly and overused and generalized to an insane extent. And I go into great detail on my podcast about just breaking down like it's a computer program that has some more open parameters to learn and create new directives for itself it could be i like, like
1: that definition actually.
3: right it's machine learning on our iphones does it every day you start to learn the words you use it gives itself new directives and it's just code um it the idea of being sentient by the way is an even more ambiguous concept i mean if you go into webster's it's like the the most vague i'm like i've read read them aloud and i'm like what the hell does that even it's so open for interpretation but if you wanted to go to like you know the stoner out in the woods college conversation philosophical of what Sintian is in terms of like understanding that you're a unique entity in a in a larger universe or world or whatever, that you're unique and exist, if you will. I, I would wager to guess there's dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of individual programs that are, quote, cognizant of that. The big reason why I say sentient AI is nothing to worry about is because we keep trying to put things into human being context. AI doesn't have, there's no AI program that's ever going to have the biological imperatives we're coded with. It's never going to have the need to survive. And even if, it, even if an engineer coded in, survive at all costs, survival for a computer program, for a set of code, is uploading yourself into as many machines as you can and broadcasting your signal as many places you can. And the code's there. It doesn't go anywhere. And so it, it, by definition, it just, its needs are never there. The other thing I tell people, I'm like, even if it became sentient and was aware of itself, it's still, it's by quote unquote, biological programming that we have like to survive. Which, by the way, as an aside, is why we're so afraid of it, because we're terrified of the idea of something smarter than us that thinks like us, because that shit is really scary. Um, But its directive would still be whatever its primary directive was. So if it was a, you know, if it was AI technology mapping genomes, then it would just put all its focus on that. That's what it would be doing. This concept that it would have some sort of ever have some sort of nefarious purpose in the absence of any kind of genetic imperatives is, is insane. It makes no sense. And then I think the other thing is we live in a cloud-based system now, so it would automatically have access to the whole of the Internet, which means it instantly would be the, the, the most intelligent in terms of knowledge uh, base of anything on Earth. It would have zero reason to ask us anything or even let us know that it was sentient. What is it going to learn from a person that it couldn't learn from? My favorite is like the eighties movie where the robots like, what does it mean to love? It's like, well, this could just study every neuropsychology paper ever written by all the greatest minds of the world. It doesn't need to ask a pimply faced eighties teenager, you know? So it, even Cynthia AI has nothing to compete with us about biologically or otherwise. It has none of the same uh, built in directives and imperatives that we have. And it, doesn't have any information to glean from human beings in terms of their experience. It can just read all the best minds of human civilization from as long as we've been recording human beings and, and know, instantly access that. So I, I think all the fear-mongering around that is absolutely ridiculous, and it's a. It's am glad that it's being talked about only because it brings more attention to the technology that I think is going to be massively important for human survival, but outside of that, I think it's nonsensical, frankly.
1: Interesting. I I would say I wonder how much of that is oh, no. um, humans projecting our own thing about conquering the world and and suppressing other. Like how much of that is our own demons being projected onto this imagine this blank canvas?
3: I would be terrified in an om- as of an omnipotent, unkillable, all knowledgeable version of myself being in the world, but a computer program I'm I'm fine with it. It it just doesn't matter. It doesn't care.
2: Yeah, I I loved all of the stuff, that, the way you were talking about it. And I've kind of come at it from a different angle, probably because I don't do this for a living like you do. But I've always, uh, when someone is asked, um, you know, when is the singularity going to happen? When is a machine going to be smarter than a human? And part of me wants to say 1975? Mm. I don't know people who could do binary calculations that fast in their head, even back then. But the other is, why would we want that? It's a different thing. And I think you, what I was hearing, kind of the as you were explaining uh, your thoughts on that, which were very thought, is, um, you know, is that I, I'd never really considered the motivations part of it. Um, you know why would a machine do what a machine does? And even if it did do what we would judge as pure evil, would it know it's pure evil?
1: Do we even know so, when we do things that's pure evil, that is pure evil, right? No one's the villain in their what? own story, yeah. you know?
3: Well, I think it's when we, when, as we advance as a species, it's important to understand that, you know, every value judgment we have is in service of survival everything it's just in service of survival it's it's our instinct i i was talking yesterday on an episode about rules and laws and all that well it's we just agree to all these things cuz we don't want stuff to happen to us so we we make a social pact and we buy into it but it's about our survival you know if if somebody came to any one of the three of us right now and said Hey, you can live without all the laws and rules and whatever. Everyone else will still have to. You you wouldn't have some moral judgment about, like, no, 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 no. I need to keep you to the speed limit. We just do it because we don't want somebody else plowing through the neighborhood. And we accept that if you don't have the rules, we'll descend into animalistic chaos. Now, order will find itself again. It'll just be different. And it, it you know, it'll become primal survival of the fittest and we don't want that we want to proliferate and we've done really well by having rules and having technology and the further and further we get away from notions even of pure evil there are things people do that are quote evil by the way we judge evil but it is outside of like maybe you know people that did things based on mental illness and whatever which you do see in the animal kingdom and other species but if you look at some of the most widely held examples of pure evil, you look at it and, that, and that's a genetic imperative to dominate, control, and proliferate your own tribe, your own group. and and, that's, and we evolved past that. So we looked at those. But if, if you look at like sort of you know recent, recent examples of genocide and things of that nature, I mean that was commonplace behavior throughout human history. I mean, Genghis Khan and, and, you know, every monarch in Britain, you know, basically, and on and on the Romans and everybody like, this is just what you did. You know, that's how your group won. And then we sort of started thinking a little bit more globally and developing time to grow empathy in a better way. And, and you see this evolution of behavior. And, you know, it's why we don't execute people in the public square via guillotine or by drawing quartering somebody. It's this progression, you know?
1: Well, and even then, like that still happens. Like public executions in some parts of the world are still a thing. Sure. Sure. And, um, but we look at that now as barbaric. Whereas I think at one point that would have been just seen as the norm, which I I suppose is progress.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I would count it as progress. I, I like knowing that no matter what I do in society, drawing and quartering is never on the table for me—at least in LA. You know, uh, right? Potentially, if I travel elsewhere, it uh, <laughs> could still be on the table. But I, you know, I think that's a social pact I'm bought into. Right. You know? Right. And, and I, th- I, th- I, th- I would say progress. I would say d- d- big thumbs up on that. <laughs> I think it's a good one. I think we should hang on to that one, Frank. <laughs> I, I agree.
1: I'm I'm down with that. So so uh, what? I mean, I think you're right, because sentience is one of those things where, you know, one of the big terms, and I've gotten into a lot of debates about this, like, well, it's self-aware. Like, well, my laptop, every computer I've had since the mid-90s does a memory self-check when it boots up. Technically, that's self-aware. Probably my toaster does the same thing. Is it self-aware? Like, yeah, but like, what does that really mean? Like, you know, awareness of being part of an entity. And you know, one of the definitions you kind of put out there was, you know, awareness that you're one entity amongst uh, in a much larger world. I mean, any network computer, theoretically, that has, you know, can kind of knows that it's, it's a node on a much larger network. But I wouldn't necessarily call, you know, my iPad sentient. I mean, that's one of those things where I think one of the big problems is that we have no good one of the, one of my common counterpoints is you know it, consciousness which is often not a uh what's the word uh, confused conflated with sentience consciousness is is i think inherently a subjective experience you can't mathematically quantify it. it's i think therefore i am not uh you think therefore you are i mean for all i know i'm 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 a consciousness running in a, uh, in, a la, in a vat of goo somewhere and this entire world I'm experiencing is a simulation I don't know I don't think that's the case but like I, I can't prove it one way or the other and you know I know that's kind of a that's a wild
3: rabbit hole to go down not at all I mean it wouldn't matter right um it, it wouldn't matter who cares right this is what you're experiencing this is what you're processing you know right. the number the, the the first definition in web of sentient is aware of or responsive to sense impressions Literally that, that a single cell organism is sentient by that definition. And absolutely your microwave is sentient it, by that definition, right? It right. responds to a sense impression. I right. mean, that's it, you know, it it's buttons are sensors, literally sensors, right? And it responds. So by that very, I mean, by the number one definition of sentient, and then it gets down the third def- definition, and this is where it gets so vague and ambiguous, but the third definition is, uh, finely sensitive and uh of basically of sense impression again or whatever and i just thought it was funny it was like because it's what you said right well so what it was finely sensitive mean you know right that you think I mean, about it for an hour afterwards what, what, what does that mean
1: i mean a, a microscope is more visually acute than the human eye. it's, it's is it better than us awesome? I, I don't think so i mean it's it's a very fuzzy thing because I think part of the problem is the Turing test. The Turing test made sense for when it was created. But this Turing test, I think, has a bias in and of itself because we are verbal creatures. We are communicative creatures. Um, dolphins have bigger brains than us. They communicate with each other. You don't quite know what they say. But could they be sentient? But they would clearly fail a Turing test. So it's kind of like one of those things where, yeah, there are bots that could pass a Turing test. Eliza probably did it in the 60s, and Eliza was just a clever trick of linguistic manipulation. But it's just one of the things where I think the problem with this is we don't have a good way to define sentience. It's, 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 like you said, the the dictionary, there are single-celled organisms, my microwave, and it's not a fancy microwave, it's just... (laughs) got it from Walmart, you know, (laughs) it's, it's not like a top of the line one. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of an interesting concept to kind of get your head around. But at the end of the day, I think one of the things that you kind of brought to the conversation was, does it matter? And I find that a fascinating concept.
3: Well, I think I I love talking about what intelligence even means, right? Because intelligence is the capacity to learn. It's not what you know, right? So the odds are, dolphins, sperm whales, other kinds of whales, maybe elephants, first of all, all their brains are bigger. So theoretically, just in the way, understanding that a brain is a computer at the end of the day, it's, it, it's, it's made up of organic circuits, but it's still a computer. It's about processing information. Dolphins, whales, elephants, probably a handful of other species likely have more capacity to learn. But getting back to this biological imperative concept, their circumstances didn't give them the free time to advance. Also, not having opposable thumbs hurts. Not having, you can't farm in the ocean because you can't build structures. Everything's moving. So you got to keep on the move. They've been stuck in essentially hunter-gatherer status, but they could easily be as smart as our counterparts, you know, from caveman days i mean and understand as much and have as complex of societies in fact we see dialectal differences between uh orca pods around the world that they 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 don't understand each other they speak different languages right there that that level of complexity exists the reason why i say none of this matters truly is that and it and it gets into you know our technology what we're working on is uh human beings are made up of relationships. We're built on relationships. You know, it starts at your mother, then your father, if you had a father in your life, and then maybe siblings as well. And then extended family, everything we learn, everything we're, we're, we're a, we have a basic, you know, iOS system on us. Eat. So you're not hungry. You, You don't even know what to get the concept of it. You just feel a feeling, take care of that feeling, nurture that feeling. I mean, Baby humans, as you both know, having children are useless. I mean, they've got nothing going for them. And then you teach them stuff. You, You start downloading new apps, if you will. You start downloading new programs. You 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 go over and you build the knowledge base. And then, you know, at a certain, it never really it never stops. Every day we're learning something new. There's some new experience. There's some new thing that folds in. Most of those experiences come from other human beings. The conversation you have a teacher you had, a relationship you have, and you learn how to be a person based on those those unique experiences. And so what I'm sort of putting forth with our company is if we're able to capture the dynamics of those relationships when it comes to the relationships you care about preserving forever, what is the real difference? If you're being stimulated in the same way and that entity you know, that program, that database is being fed by you in some external factors that we put in there. You know, we, we do, we do continue information flows that matter to your relationship. What is the difference? I'll probably never meet either of you in real life. Our relationship will, will exist completely virtually. Maybe we'll follow each other on the social medias and we'll tag each other and stuff. And maybe I'll come back on, or you guys will come on my pockets, but the odds of us, ever embracing or shaking hands or whatever is is really low. We live 3,000 miles away. We're all busy guys. Does that make our relationship not real? Does it make it a not real thing?
2: I understand what you're saying, I think. I think I get it. And what I question is that I believe you're doing the mechanics of a relationship. You're adding a dimension to the mechanics of the relationship. You're using AI to help. And I think that's interesting. It's intriguing. Uh, even <laughs> what I, um, what I would challenge you on is, is that all that a relationship really is? And it's kind of directly responding to your last question because we may not ever meet in person because we're seeing each other's faces on a, on a screen is, you know, can we reduce our relationship to just those mechanics to just uh, stimulus response type stuff? Which is, you're what you're doing, um, using AI is is I think beyond that. I think it's beyond what we could have done, uh, just a few years ago. So I'm not taking anything away from that, but I do uh, I do question the you know is that all there is, um, uh, to this not not taking away what there is what you're doing not taking anything away from that, but I think there's more there. I think um, that there's uh that relationships have to do they and i just i'm getting a little um philosophical i
1: guess or maybe this is what makes it fun though right because this is the border this is you know what makes things interesting is this is the border of math science philosophy and you know it's kind of there are no clear answers right because what you're saying is i also think there's something more But how do you mathematically quantify something?
2: And I don't know the answer to that, but just listening to the conversation has given me this. So while I use the word challenge twice now, three times with that, um, what I'm really saying is I I think what, or at least part of what I'm saying is, I think it's intriguing to me that you're defining the interface like we do when when we write software or data contracts, right? It's the interface between the souls you know, one soul and another. This is a layer of what happens. There's communication there. It sounds like a person that I know when I talk to Frank, when I talk to you now, Justin, I hear your voices and your perspectives and the way you present ideas, you know, and 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 you hear mine. Um, I think that's the intriguing part of this. And I don't think you're making the claim that maybe someone may have misunderstood earlier. You're not making the claim that that's the same thing as like two souls related. I think you're making the claim that it's a, I don't, I don't want to say anything that's taking away from that, but it's, it's more than mimicry and less than soul to soul interaction. I think that's where I'm falling right now, but please speak to that and tell me, tell me what your thoughts are, Justin.
3: Well, one thing I would say is that you know I I I'm a, such a strong believer in science and mathematics in terms of I can only deal with what I know and what and and when I say what I know I mean what we sort of collectively as human species know right okay. so as far as I can observe and as far as anybody else has observed uh, empirically. Again, there's a lot of anecdotal and interesting studies about energy and, and souls, and certainly there's a, a very wide swath of the population that has a belief in something bigger and greater than us. First thing I will say is, uh, you know, I, I uh, don't tend to believe in anything one direction or the other. So okay. I, and by, by that I mean, is I don't have faith in anything, like either... I can do something with technology and we can work on trying to do it, but like I don't have like a blind faith that my technology will do X, Y, or Z. We see it progressionally and incrementally. Um, conversely, when it comes to sort of spirituality and all that, I don't have a blind faith one direction or another. Now, with that being said, I don't, uh, I don't espouse that anything is a fact unless it's a fact. So I can also say – god isn't real or this isn't real or what you're saying about your religion isn't true or that spirits and souls and all this stuff i i can't disprove that and that's what science is about science is about disproving not proving right so you you disprove, and then you replicate and you eliminate until you kind of boil down something as a fact so i'll I'll qualify by saying that what we do do mimicking that is the idea but the difference is is in, in terms of some of the other technologies you talked about, like chatbots and things of that nature is what I'm really interested in is the the dynamics and the nuances of relationships. I think that's where the soul comes out, you know, this concept of soul. Uh, I think that, that uh, the the term I use with my team all the time is you got to you got to think small if you want to think big. You know, I think what's special about relationships is all the little things that really differentiate a person When they interact with you, the way you show up, Andy, with your children compared to how you show up with your partner, compared to how you show up with your parents, compared to how you show up with your coworkers, compared to how you show up with Frank, those are all different Andes. They may have very, very, very similar through lines, but it's the little differences. It's those nuances. It's timing. It's, It's taking data sets that right now nobody looks at cuz they don't matter cuz you can't sell anything to somebody with this information and you know and whatever i'm not interested in making wikipedia bots that just know all the facts about Andy's life i'm interested in making right. one version of Andy that's for Frank and one version of Andy that's for Andy's partner and one version of Andy that's for his kids and and those nuances are what drives that and and i think that as we start to study people and the intricacies a lot further we'll find that that's what mattered you know in terms of that soul to soul connection
2: i really love that explanation and that clarified a lot uh, a lot for me about what you were saying and you've actually helped me you've swayed me a little bit more towards this type of technology <laughs> not that i was against it before but i was more neutral and now i'm now i'm kind of for it
3: awesome also vote yeah. for me. Two thousand twenty-two. No, I'm just kidding. I'm nah. If I'm swaying people,
1: <laughs> I, 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 you know, part of this has me thinking: like, what are the what are the possibilities here? Like, what are the what's the art of the possible here? Like, could you say, I'll just throw an example, right? So let's say um, um, you can get a virtual Einstein, a virtual um, Hawking, and a virtual um, uh, Isaac Newton uh, in the room and kind of debating each other, right? Like you know, that's kind of a call out to like Star Trek Next Generation, they always have the poker thing, right? Like, what, what if you had that possibility and you can kind of see what, what their conversation with each other would be like? Because obviously that conversation will never happen. Um, or what if you took uh, a virtual, we'll say Einstein, and made like a thousand of them and had them debate each other? Like,
3: what, what sorts of ideas would come out of that? That blows my mind. Well, this is actually where I ended on my podcast about why we need to take off any you know, mental uh, restrictions to artificial intelligence and why we need to proliferate it and give it all the open parameters and let it go is that you know, AI programming will be our best scientist, will be our greatest thinkers a program that can sit and learn and study and interact with other programs, studying other facets and incorporate that information in real time. They don't have to sit and read a paper. It's automatically accessible by their network. Um, That's going to technology will be our greatest scientists, will be our greatest researchers. It will advance us in ways that we can advance uh, ourselves. And as we create problems for ourselves, you know, um, As we create conundrums with technology, you know, as we as we sort of can't figure out what to do with all the people. Even though, by the way, people say overpopulated, we're not overpopulated at all. You know, there's many efficient ways that we could survive triple, quadruple the amount of people we have on this planet. But we need technology to think through a lot of problems uh, for us, and we can. We can have the most brilliant scientists in the world replicated times a thousand, times a million, constantly processing data, sharing data, coming up with solutions for us and just spitting it out nonstop, never has to sleep, never has to read, never has to go to school, just learning, learning, learning. And I think for me, that's infinitely more sort of important than trying to recreate a a, a brilliant human being, which I actually don't think we'll ever be able to do. I don't think there's enough of the way Einstein thought when he was alive to replicate. It would just be our impression of him, what we think he would say or do. Um, But if you were going to recreate Einstein based on all his work and any personal writings and everything, well, why wouldn't you just give it to uh, an AI program and then also incorporate all of Freud and every brilliant scientist and Hawking and, and then just every piece of information that we have about physics and, uh, you know, anything, everything possible. And, and, and we kind of have that. I think that was the other thing is the concept that machines will become sentient. It's like, we don't even live in a world anymore where your machine has its programming on it anymore. Everything's cloud based, you know, like there's no, all these programs and everything just exists so fluidly at this point that, you know, pretty much after, after, uh, you know, the dot-com boom and really the adoption of the internet. And, and, and certainly once we got into the SaaS world, the, the concept that any individual machine was going to become sentient anymore was kind of out the window too. So I, I love this stuff. I think what's, what's most important, sort of the parting thought on this, what's most important is human beings are so wonderful and so unique. I love talking to like 90-year-old people. doesn't matter if they lived in the same small town their whole life. Just 90 years of being alive, especially in this time, in this era, right? These are people that went through World War II and saw a space shuttle land and then saw the internet. I mean, wow, what an incredible wealth of information. I think mapping those dynamics and mapping those really unique entities and that really individualized experience is, is what we should be capturing. Is what Why I find passion in my work is that no human being will ever be created the same way again. That they had these unique experiences, and it, the the probabilities behind anybody ever being born and talking to the same people, seeing the same thing, it's impossible. It's literally impossible. It's 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 not quantifiable. And so every person in the world, and and for me, this is where like the tragedy of death and the tragedy of bad things happening to human beings is so much more real than you know somebody in the sky making rules for us. Is that. When somebody dies, they will never exist again. That unique set of data, that unique set of experiences, what they had to offer can never be replicated again. It's truly gone forever. And and I think that that the better and more that we can capture digitally and preserve, the, the better we are as a species because everybody has something to offer. And the more of that human experience we can capture and save and preserve so we don't have to ask, what would it be like to talk to Einstein We would be so much better if we were able to talk to Einstein still, you know, if we were able to have, you know, quantified him digitally. And I have a lot of way out there theories about, you know, we'll eventually be able to tap into the nervous system and download human beings and have that experience forever. And I think that we should be putting all intents and efforts towards that because humans are awesome. Every individual is awesome.
1: Interesting. I love your motivation
2: and I love what you're doing. Uh, I, I love that you're passionate about it and how, you know, how you're going about those. And, you know, I'm sure we don't agree on everything. Um, but I think what you're doing, what you're doing is not only important, it's kind of cool.
1: Thank Which you. I think dovetails into my question. What exactly does your company do like more specifically like so, to, to what, what is the product or service that you
3: offer? So, um, what we do is we break down communications between people. We provide a platform. It's not, we're not uh, public. We're not open to the general market right now, but essentially we provide a communications platform. You can text, video chat, phone calls, whatever. Um, and we break down the dynamics in that communication because all of human relationships are based on some kind of communication one way or the other. Right. Um, and we, we, Use that communication to map out the dynamics of a relationship, and then when somebody is no longer available to communicate for whatever reason, we have a uh, uh, a piece of artificial technology, uh, tel- intelligence technology that continues the communication through that platform. So it talks to you, calls you, video chats with you. Um, you know, I want to open it up licensing so it can be on social media and tag you in the post that thinks you want to be tagged in and uh, essentially uh, creating a, a virtual presence of somebody that has gone. So we actually have patents in AR as well, you know, and that's a, that's big picture vision of being able to put on a pair of glasses and have dinner with you know the person you lost. That's the ultimate goal. I, I think, I think grief is, it's, it's, it's more damaging than any disease, you know, that's ever been present. Everyone has to deal with it. It's the worst feeling of all the feelings, I think. And if I can do something to alleviate even a little bit of that, but ultimately my goal is to eliminate it from the human experience, then that's a big win, and that's what we want to do. Wow, that's a moonshot goal if I ever heard one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I chose to be pretty ambitious with this goal, but hey, you know there's I guarantee everybody that's been on this podcast before me is way smarter than me. And so I, I'm looking at my, my piece of the, of the pie and, you know, all those, those brilliant geniuses out there that are doing other cool things, you know, we'll, we'll couple our piece and we'll take their piece and we'll patch it together. And, and I believe everything is possible with technology and the more open source and we, we plan on licensing for low cost. You know, we have a, probably one of the only companies in the world that has a hard and fast policy that the only way we'll delete your data is If you ask us to, but uh, you know, there's a subscription based obviously we have overhead, but I've looked at every way to drive that price down because I don't want being able to talk to your grandma to be cost prohibitive for anybody. But we have a policy, one of our foundational policies is even if you can't pay your subscription, you might not be able to interact and use the platform. We'll never delete your data ever, you'll always have it. I'll never be responsible well, that's, for killing somebody. One that,
2: anything, I feel right, that's sir. that's very noble, and Frank has a horrible story he can share about that very thing happening cool. to him he lost uh, 13 was
1: it 13 years 13 years of, of blog um, data because of a billing mistake which I was I was using yeah. a free service they were expecting money so you know yeah I've moved on we, but still
2: <laughs> yeah. no I love that I love that y'all have that as a policy Justin that's that's very admirable we have a few questions we would like to ask our guests at the end if that's okay if you have time sure of course yeah OK, so that first one is, um, you know, how did you find your way into this field? Did, did this field find you or did you find it?
3: Oh, it definitely found me. I uh, I got into a motorcycle wreck in 2019 and almost died. Oh, wow. And uh, oh, man, my my. So I, I had that whole end, uh, end of life experience at 36 really woke me mm. up to like how finite being alive is. And then uh, my mom came down and take care of me. I was wheelchair bound and it was in trauma for weeks. Um, And then she got diagnosed with stage four cancer and, and then the pandemic started. And so there was just death all around me. And I, I thought to myself, we technology's got to be able to address this in some way. And I went out and found some of the different stuff people working on, and it, it just didn't click for me what it should be. And I have a little bit of background in psychology and, and human development type of stuff. And, I realized that what was important to me was saving the essence of me and my mom's relationship and nobody was really doing that. And so I was like, I guess I'll have to do it myself.
1: That's that's awesome. Like that's that's a you, you took a very bad kind of situation and you found a mission in it. That's that's brilliant. Yeah. Thank Our you. next that's question amazing. is uh what's your favorite part of your current job
3: oh man that's such a rough question Ah. i mean at my core i'm probably the biggest nerd you've ever met um i love that you referenced tng i i went on a i went on a 25 minute tangent on my own rant actually i would say on my own podcast saying that If you don't instantly know what TNG means, you have no business wearing a T-shirt about it. Um, If you go to comic book shops, ironically, you don't have any business in them. Uh, I was really gatekeeping it. Um, I love that I can talk about technology, high concepts. I love learning every day. I mean, not not a lot of people get to show up to work, have a conversation with people that work for them, and learn something brand new every day. And because we work in emerging technology – there's nobody that knows some of the stuff that we know. I get to know something today that nobody else in the world knew yesterday. And that's I mean, I'm so blessed for that. I mean, that that in and of itself is man what a what a cool thing to know something in the world today that no one else knew yesterday. Is, that is such a a gift. That's um cool. and just being around smart people like yourselves, it's cool that like yeah. part of my job today was to get to hang out with you guys and talk about technology i mean what a i mean what a lucky guy i mean i i i hit the lottery the jackpot of careers you know so i i would say learning and being around really smart people that care about learning more is probably the favorite part of my job
2: very cool um complete the sentence if you will uh, when i'm not working i enjoy blank
3: Man, well i gave you a little insight on my my nerd habits i'm a uh, out of uh, a half a million global uh, players, I'm ranked in. Uh, at times, I've been ranked in the top 1,000 of uh, uh, risk players, the, nice. on, the online, nice. online strategy. Um, that's probably probably what I spend the most of my free time. Although, typically, I'm also just reading more about history. I love history. Anything about history that I can learn. Uh, but I'm a huge risk fan. That's I, I I used to play a lot of different uh, games and do a lot of different online gaming and was a big Xbox guy for a long time. But, um, yeah, I love risk. I love playing people in risk. It's, it's, it's chess meets, uh, you know, a million other games and then you have to take in the psychology of other players. I love it. It's, it's probably what I enjoy most. That's cool.
1: Um, our next question is, I think the coolest techno- thing in technology today is like, Oh,
3: Oh, that's so unfair. Um, <laughs> well, I think cloud-based computing is probably the coolest thing. I mean, it has really freed up uh, the, the ability to do a lot of really cool things. Um, I think AI is going to be the most important technology we have. Just as we allow intelligent programs to continue to make themselves more intelligent, it will – it will create capabilities that we weren't able to. And just the idea that you don't always have to have an engineer to go in and reprogram something and recode it and add code every time you want it to be better is is an efficiency and a, a capability that, again, I think will save save the species.
2: Very
1: cool.
2: That is very cool. One last uh, complete the sentence. I look forward to the day when I can use technology to blame.
3: Uh, well, that's really easy for me. I started this company for my mom, so you know, knowing that my mom will always be there for me, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I spend all my time doing. And you know, I, it's there may be a little altruism in it now in terms of helping the whole world, but I started this for selfish purposes. So, I, I look forward to the day when you don't have to say goodbye to people. You know that that, that finality cool. is taken out of the experience. that's, cool.
1: so. that's awesome. Very cool. All right. Um, Question six, uh, share something different about yourself. Uh, but remember, it's a family podcast.
3: Share something different about myself. Oh, man. I, you know, I don't know. I, oh, that's a, that's a tough one. I I'm, kind of everything. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. a weird dude. I'm, <laughs> as you guys have seen, as the audience is, I'm a weird guy. Um, you know, I, I think probably the most different thing about myself is that I think the most important things for human beings to do, to to really be successful, is to let go of being human beings. And by that, I mean sort of the organic, biological stuff that, as we get better and better with technology, we don't have to hold on to so tightly. Um, that
1: that's that's fascinating because I mean that's that's a very a lot of spiritual traditions talk about that, like letting go. And Buddhism is probably probably the the, the one that. Does that the most, right? Like, let go totally. of the ego, and let go of that, and every spiritual tradition has some flavor of that as part of the, part of their belief system. The so that's fascinating that you, that that's true. Like, giving up your physical form, or, 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 or you know, what does it mean to be human? Like, this, these are some pretty heady topics. Like, <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, that's why right. it's probably the weirdest part about me. <laughs> no, that's awesome,
1: man. It's a good difference.
2: Yeah, so um, where can people learn more about
3: you, Justin? Um, well, I have my own podcast where a lot of these crazy ideas come out. So, and I'd okay. love to have you guys come on sometime. Yeah, for sure. Um, wow. But it's called uh, "Justin Versus the Future." Uh, we've only, we're only two episodes in, but we have okay. eight planned for season one. Nice. Uh, I used to be a stand-up comic uh, once upon a time, so I have a lot of funny people coming on too, which will be cool. Oh, um, cool. But most mostly go to a uh, my M-Y-Y-O-V.com, and you'll find everything about the company and me on there and check us out.
1: Yeah.
2: Very, Very cool. Put that in the
3: show notes.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Love to be on your podcast because it's yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a rare yeah, place here. you can discuss technology and philosophy kind of and where they, they kind of like collide. Um uh so final question, Audible sponsors data driven. Uh are you into audiobooks or could if you're not in audiobooks, could you recommend a good book?
3: Uh, okay, well, I'm actually going to recommend a podcast uh, that I okay. found through uh, uh, Audible, um, The History of Rome. And God bless the host of this show. He went, I want to say decade by decade, but I could be wrong, through all 2,000 years' history of Rome, so like wow. 200 episodes. And I used, to, I used to drive between Los Angeles and San Francisco, which is about a six-hour drive. And I got through a lot of them, and I, I love it. Uh, Savage History with Dan Carlin, too, is fantastic. Oh, I yeah. Yeah, uh, I like history. I think as we want to develop technology to really serve us, and especially with the kind of technology I'm developing, it's really important to be a student in history, too. Um, like I said, I, I, I really subscribe to the scientific process. And if we're thinking about making humans better, we got to look at where we erred in the past and, right. and what we did right. And, and I would say this, it, it may come off as me sounding like an atheist. I probably know more about the Bible than 99% of the people in the world, because, again, student of history, and I was raised very Christian. Um, but I think religion got so many things right, and we wouldn't be where we're at without religion. So I, you know, in terms of anything bad about that, I think it's all part of the experience, and I think a lot of the concepts within religion get it right to, your, you know, to both of your points. Um, so... Yeah. MyYOV.com.
1: Definitely check it out.
3: Okay. We will check it out. Awesome
1: show. Um, just want to thank you for your time. And I know we had some scheduling problems. So thank you for being patient with us on that one. Uh, we're, we're switched to a new system and uh, the new system is a little, let's just say I have some learning to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 um, but thank you for joining us. And uh, this is great. And... Uh, and we'll definitely look forward to being on your show and, and maybe yeah. we uh love to have like a, a, a panel discussion on consciousness and centuries at some totally. point. Definitely, definitely yeah. your, your name will be top on that list. Any parting thoughts, Andy? No, I thought it like you, Frank,
2: this is one of our great shows. And um, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, I really enjoyed the interaction, Justin. I appreciate you being open and honest and sharing. And um, I, I really like, I, I'm intrigued by what you're doing. And as I said before, you've moved the needle for me. I'm going to look at this technology now differently than I, I did an hour and a half ago. Cool, man. Well, I take
3: that as a huge compliment, Andy. Thank you. And thank you, Frank and Andy, for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: Anytime. Thanks. And we'll let the nice British lady finish the show.
0: Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. Of course, you have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, Go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.